Welcome to the Battle Cry Podcast with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. You can watch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Convention of States Facebook and Rumble channels. Good Sunday evening and welcome back to the first Battle Cry of 2024. It's a wild year already. There's a lot of news. I couldn't even pack it all in in my notes here for the show today. So I'm going to hit as much as I can, as fast as I can. Uh, first, I want to give our first call to action of the new year. And that call to action, super specific. I know sometimes I do general things like don't worry, be happy kind of stuff. This year, what I'm telling you is it's time for you specifically to do something. If you haven't already done this, you need to join Convention of States. You need to go to the website, conventionofstates.com, and you need to click on the petition, sign the petition if you haven't already done that. That's step one. If you haven't done that, come on, man, shame on you. It's 2024. You got to be in action. You got to sign the petition. Step number two, even more important, you got to click the Take Action tab. You have to get involved. The country's at stake. The republic's on the line. You know it or you wouldn't be watching. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? You can watch, and I really appreciate you watching. I love that you do that. I appreciate it. If you click on like and say you love what we're doing, that helps us a lot. If you spread it to other people, it helps us a lot. More important than any of that is you actually getting involved. Because it's going to take you, the citizen, the regular person in America like me, to do something to save the country. And I appreciate you're watching. That's not actually doing something. That's step number one. The real thing that you have to do is you're gonna have to get involved. And you get involved by clicking on the Take Action tab, saying you wanna volunteer. You could use 15 minutes a week, five hours a week, full-time, whatever you wanna give, we can use. There's a job you're gonna love out there. So again, go to conventionofstates.com, fill out the petition, click on the Take Action tab, do it this week. It's still the first week and you can get into action for this year. The legislatures are going into action. We definitely need your help. Well, I wanna start with a happy new year to all of you. I'm really glad you're here. I am genuinely happy. I'm hearing a bunch of negativity about 2024. It's a cataclysmic year. All this bad stuff's going to happen. Like, I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy to be here. And we should focus on something. This is literally the very best time to be alive in modern history. Not just in America, but in the world. It is the very best time to be alive. We have more material prosperity than any time in American history. We have more comfort. We have more technology. If you choose to do so, you have more access to faith, all the online resources you have about your faith, all the groups you can plug into, all the work you can do from the comfort of your own home. You've got everything you need to be happy. Uh, for me personally, my faith is the foundation of joy and joy and happiness are different. Happiness is temporal and fleeting. Joy is long-term. I have joy in the Lord. So I am very happy to be alive. I'm very happy to be moving into 2024. I'm excited about the stuff that's going to be happening in my family, the stuff that's going to be happening with my friends, stuff that's going to be happening in convention estates, and yeah, even the stuff that's going to be happening in politics. I think it's going to be a good year. Let's not take it for granted. Let's remember to be thankful for it, count our blessings, and appreciate it. So let's go to the news, all right? Because I'm going to prove to you that it is a year to be happy. Not everything's happy, but I'm going to prove to you this is a year to be happy. In my favorite story of the year so far, and okay, I realize it's only a week into the year, but my favorite story of the year so far involved he who will not be the presidential nominee, Vivek Ramaswamy, who I actually like a lot of the stuff he says, but he's not even really running for president. He schooled a reporter how a reporter should be schooled. 
reporter asked Vivek Ramaswamy to comment on white supremacy. So first of all, um, as he looked at Vivek Ramaswamy, he was actually with him at the time. This is a brown-skinned man, and he's asking him to comment on white supremacy, apparently because he's not of their favored groups, uh, the favored caste. Uh, then he is considered white, but he's clearly of East Indian descent. His name might be a little giveaway, Vivek Ramaswamy, right? The dark skin, you might be able to tell that. Anyway, he asked him to comment on Vivek, Ram Vivek Ramaswamy to comment on white supremacy. And Vivek slams him, smacks him down, says it's a stupid question. I'm not going to play into your fake religion of wokeism. He says, of course, I'm against all forms of racism, whatever they are. Most of it's coming from you. And he blames the media for the division in the country. It is beautifully and perfectly handled. If you haven't had a chance to watch that, I highly recommend that you watch that clip. This is how the media should be handled. And for this, I am nominating Vivek for the next president's press secretary. I mean, this is the way it should be handled. You know, you had Jen Psaki constantly saying, I'll circle back to you on that. We could just have Vivek and his standard response could be, that's a stupid question. <laughs> so I, and I mean it genuinely, I know it sounds a little bit facetious. I think Vivek is really quick on his feet. He's a really smart guy. He gets talking points as much as anybody out there. He handles the press better than anybody out there, in my opinion. So I nominate Vivek for the next Republican press secretary. Now, I don't know if he'll take my nomination. I don't know if anybody will nominate him, but I think it would be a great idea. I think it'd be very entertaining. And I also think it is the appropriate way to handle the press. So that's my favorite story of the year for the first week. Here's something going on that I think you need to pay attention to, the second story I want you to watch. And this is one that it made the news this week, but I don't think people are paying enough attention to it. I don't think people understand how important and potentially negative this story is. This week, Mayor Eric Adams and the city of New York sued the bus companies that Texas is using to transfer people from Texas, illegal immigrants, that want to go from Texas to New York City. There's a lot of them. They want to go. And Texas, at its own cost, pays in a very humanitarian fashion to get these people on buses and to help move them because they voluntarily want to go to New York City. New York City, remember, a sanctuary city. So Eric Adams and the city and some white shoe law firms in New York City, white shoe meaning the big prestigious law firms, are suing on behalf of New York City to recover the costs of handling all these illegal immigrants from the bus companies, not from the state of Texas, from the bus companies. So this is commercial litigation warfare. What they're trying to do is keep these bus companies from transporting these illegal immigrants who want to go to New York City, a sanctuary city, trying to stop the bus companies from doing those transits. I have to say, I respect the move in the sense that this is really good strategy. I think this is a, a strategy and a tactic, really tactic being used by New York City to stop the transit of these illegal immigrants. Uh, I worry about it because if I were a CEO of one of these bus companies, I'm making good money. I've got a bunch of full buses traveling cross country from New York. I mean, from uh, Texas to New York, it's a constant stream going on right now. And now suddenly I'm going to be sued for hundreds of millions of dollars by New York City. I'm not sure that that's worth it for a commercial operation to deal with that. I think we need to watch the story because I'm not sure what happens. I don't know how the contracts read. It's plausible that these contracts contain a provision, an indemnity provision from the state of Texas. I don't know if that's the case, then the state of Texas will pay for 
the lawyers for these bus companies. It's possible there's another maneuver that could take place that I would recommend. The state of Texas intervene in that litigation, basically under a theory where they say, we're really the right party to be being sued here, not these bus companies, they're not responsible. And so it's possible that they intervene and try to take the place of the bus companies. I think that would be a great move by the AG of Texas. But I think this is important. I think we need to watch this. And I think we may need to emulate it. We may need in other states where the illegal immigrants are being, I, I think, unlawfully settled by the federal government against the will of local municipalities. <clears throat> it's possible these municipalities have similar laws to the state of New York or the city of New York where they could sue the bus company. So I think we need to look at all of this. Lawfare has become a very sophisticated part of the political process. I don't like that, but that's the way it is. And we need to play it as well or better than the left. So keep your eye on this lawsuit. Right now, for the rest of the show, all I'm gonna do is good news because there's so much of it and you need to be paying attention to it. And you may not see some of these things. I'm scanning the news constantly. I have great grassroots like you sending me the news constantly, texting it to me. So I have sort of a focus group out there telling me what's good. I'm reading it all day long. So here's number one, not necessarily number one in order, but this is great news. In China, China, our number one adversary in the world, we have Apple does a lot of business in China, a lot of manufacturing in China. I don't get to say there's very good news about China very often, but here's the good news. Apple's 188 suppliers have spent more than $16 billion to move out of China, to reshore, to offshore from China, to go to other countries. And this is damaging China's economy severely. It's not just happening with Apple, it's happening in other industries as well. So that's good news because it disempowers the Chinese. It takes money out of their economy. It takes influence away from them in the world economy. And that's good news both in the short and the long term. Now it's a two-edged sword. And here's what I mean by that. A desperate China will become a more aggressive China. And so that gives me worries about what they do in Taiwan, what they're doing about to destabilize us across the rest of the world. The last thing I have to say about the story other than watch it, is when are we gonna ban TikTok? And TikTok is literally a psychological pollutant being imposed on our society by the Chinese Communist Party. It's not allowed in China in the way it is here. They use it, there are algorithms, algorithms that are designed to pollute the psychology of the American people against America, against Israel, against everything we hold near and dear. And so we need to get rid of TikTok in the United States of America. It should be banned, it should be illegal. But that is some good news regarding China right now. It appears that their supplier or the manufacturers are on the move out of China. Okay, here's another piece of good news. More good news, can you believe? In such a dark world, everybody tells you it's so dark out. New polling shows that sympathy is surging for the January 6th protesters. Right now, more than 43% agree they had a point. Right, and so that is dramatically shifting. And I think we're gonna see it, it's gonna be a majority uh, sometime soon, I believe. We're gonna get up past the 50%. That number continues to climb because we're seeing more and more what a scam these prosecutions are, the denial of due process, the abuse of process. Ultimately, what I hope is we see an administration that comes in post Joe Biden administration that's willing to punish the wrongdoers. And by wrongdoers, I mean the federal officials, the state officials, people who are abusing January 6th protesters that did, in my opinion, for the most part, nothing wrong or very little wrong. So that's great news, right? I, I'm What you see is the tide of public opinion is turning, turning against the abuse of federal process. And 
Still more good news. I know you can't believe it. Everybody's telling you all the bad news. I'm going to tell you the good news. Here's another one you may not have caught. COVID class actions are continuing to roll against companies, against schools. In this case, in the latest news, George Washington University in Washington, D.C., right near the White House, is paying $5 million to students for shutting down classes. This is a big one. This is really important. That's a very prestigious university. And what we're seeing all across the country is students are suing their universities for depriving them of an education during COVID, for depriving them of housing, for depriving them of other services for which they paid. They should have had full tuition refunds, full housing, whatever it was, but they didn't do that. So I'm encouraging if you were in school, if you're a young person, if your kid was in school, if your grandkids were in school and they didn't get reimbursed for all this stuff, they were damaged. Even if they got reimbursed, there are still damages to be had. There are a bunch of firms now doing class action lawsuits. By the way, these are firms I, I don't even generally like, but they're now incentivized to do the right thing by going after these schools. And we should be going after every single one of them. Isn't that great news? You got to love that news. All right, here's more. I mean, can you handle it? Even more good news? Yeah, I mean, can you handle all the winning that we're, you're, you're probably getting tired of winning, right? Okay, here's another one that's really big. You saw this story, I'm sure, but I want to go a little deeper into it. Claudine Gay has resigned as the president of Harvard University. She had this dismal, embarrassing, humiliating, anti-Semitic perf performance before Congress. And ultimately, we had the president of UPenn step down. I think her name was Catherine McGill, Kathleen McGill. She stepped down. Now Claudine Gay has stepped down from leadership of Harvard. The shortest tenure in history of a Harvard president is about six months. And I think this is a great thing. But I want to nuance this. I want to parse this a little bit. I mean, this is something we try to do on the show. We get into a little bit of nuance. It's not just blunt force. Yes, it's good that Claudine Gay is gone. But I would argue that one of the big reasons she's gone is because of the plagiarism. Well, I would say allegations, but not just allegations, actually proven fact plagiarism, over 50 incidents of plagiarism. And it's good that she got chased out. She should have been chased out for the anti-Semitism. But here's the deal. It, my opinion is if Harvard wants a plagiarist, a fake, somebody who never did any real scholarship, somebody whose qualifications for the job were that she's a black female, that's why she's in the job, her and Kamala Harris have that credential in common, why they hold their jobs, they should have it. I think Claudine Gay was a perfect representative for Harvard. Uh, she never really accomplished anything of note. She was a DEI hire. She was a DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion hire. I think it should be D-I-E because everything that touches this stuff dies. She was anti-merit. She was pro all this affirmative action stuff that put people in places where they didn't belong, including her. And so that's a perfect representation of Harvard. And they knew exactly what they were getting when they hired Claudine Gay. There was no hiding her scholarship. Her scholarship was out there for everybody to see. People pointed out in advance that she was a plagiarist and she would embarrass Harvard if they put her in that position. And they didn't listen and they didn't listen out of hubris because they believe they're so big, so powerful, and so influential, and DEI is so important, they could hide all this stuff because she was the perfect diversity hire. She had the look. She had the diversity credentials, right? She checked the boxes, and they were going to defend her at all costs, and they tried to. And why conservatives won that fight is because people like Chris Rufo were relentless. It wasn't one incident. It wasn't one story. It was story after story, after 
story after story. It was continuing to push when everybody thought it was all over. And this is a lesson that conservatives should learn. And I would say in regard to Harvard, the way we should apply it is we're not done because Claudine Gay is done. We should be going after the entire DEI regimen there, the entire DIE regimen. And we should be going after it to root it out, to get rid of it, because these institutions are full of the cancer of DEI. And these institutions have to be brought down. And that's the way you bring them down. You bring out, take out this framework of DEI, get rid of it. In fact, I'd be in favor of doing an investigation of every major American university president, all of their scholarship. I bet you there's an incredible amount of plagiarism out there. How do I know that? Because the journalists and other academics are coming out in favor of Claudine Gay and saying, well, you know, there's a lot of this. It happens. It's no where were these people raised? What were you taught about plagiarism? Like in junior high, in high school, if you were, if you got ruined enough by college, like I did to go through college, what were you taught about plagiarism? It was the worst thing that you could do in academics is plagiarize. And now you have academics saying, well, it's not really plagiarism. I mean, she just copied some words from some other people. They're literally journalists saying this and academics saying this. So Look, there is rot deep down, and I think we need to dig in. This is the starting point. We got rid of the president of UPenn. We got rid of the president of Harvard. Now we dig in. And we start to root out all this DEI horror. We do that by continuing to swing. When your opponent is stumbling and you're in a fight and they're starting to fall down, you continue to swing until they're all the way down, and that's what we have to do. But I would celebrate it. Celebrate it as a victory. It's an awesome thing. Yep. Conservatives took a scalp there. We should take a lot more and we should go for total victory. I get the question all the time. What's up with COS? Uh, you know, this show that we do here is about COS, but it's really about self-governance and the news. Here's what's going on with COS. So I got to cover that. Uh, I was this week in Austin, Texas, giving a presentation at the Austin County GOP. Now, don't get confused. Austin County is not Austin City. Austin City is this leftist place run by leftists, polluted, destroyed by leftists. I still love the city. I have hope for the city, but right now run totally by leftists. Austin County is about two and a half hours away from where I live. Uh, it is west of Houston. It is a very red place. And I call it real Texas. I consider it the real Austin, Texas. And so I went out there and this week had a chance to speak to the Austin County GOP talked about convention of states, great reception. You know, one of the things that happens when I go speak at a GOP meeting, especially in small towns, you generally might get a small crowd at a GOP meeting. You, you might get 15, 20 people in a small town. And when we go, we put the word out to all of our followers, all of COS followers, they show up, fills out the county GOP. There's some good exchange of ideas, hopefully good exchange of volunteerism that takes place. So I love the opportunity to do that. I love going to smaller towns and giving presentations because I like to see real America. That is where the veins course the deepest through the heart of America, is in small town America. I had a great time, great people out there, a lot of great questions, a lot of dialogue back and forth. I stayed too late because then I had to drive home. But thank you to the folks there in Sealy, Texas at the Austin County GOP for hosting me. That was great. A lot of stuff coming up in the legislatures. I will tell you for convention of states, the ones I would be really looking at, really watching hard, Iowa, Idaho, North Carolina, maybe Ohio, 
bunch of other states happening out there. If I didn't men your, mention your state, don't fret. I'm still coming to your state. We're still traveling. I just think those are the ones that we might see first up motion on. I'm super excited about what's going on out there for convention of states all over the country. I hope you are too. I think it's going to be a banner year. The elections are coming up. Things always get hot for us during election year. People are looking for people to endorse COS so we know who we should be voting for. I look at who's supporting COS and personally, those are the people I go out and support. I want to do a little Q&A here. Always my favorite part of the show is the interaction with you guys. So I'm going to start with David Sorensen. He says, what are the first top five priorities of action COS will take in 2024? David, I think I just answered that. I think it's Idaho, Iowa, North Carolina, Ohio. Uh, let's see, what, what would I say for number five? I'm not really sure. Number five is kind of a toss up for me, a bunch of, bunch of other states. But I would also say that the 2024 election is a priority for us. We we work in those elections <clears throat> however we can legally. And this is really important. Every state has different restrictions. Federal elections have different restrictions. Uh, when we work, we're generally doing it on a 501c4 basis, which has more latitude. Our C3 doesn't get engaged in elections at all, though it does do get out the vote efforts, uh, sometimes just general education efforts. But most of it, if we're doing electoral activity, that's going to be done by Convention of States Action. By the way, we encourage you guys to give to both the C3 and the C4. We need your help to support our work out there. All right. This is a weird name. A29S12. Sounds like one of the droids from Star Wars. So A29S12 asks, how about a constitutional amendment to eliminate lobbying and eliminate corporate donors from campaigns? I'm just going to tell you, I'm not in favor of either of those. If we eliminated lobbying, one of the things we couldn't do is what I do all the time is go out and talk to state legislators about what we're doing. That is lobbying. When constituents, grassroots activists, we train them to go into a legislature, that is lobbying. And I get paid to do this, by the way. And sometimes we hire lobbyists to go in and help us and work on our behalf for the Convention of States resolution. That, again, that's lobbying. And so I'm not in favor of doing away with lobbying. I don't have any problem with lobbying at all. I think we want as much free flow of information to the legislators as possible. Legislators, by the way, it's impossible for them to consume everything that crosses their path. And good lobbyists perform a service. They come in, the legislators know who they work for. They say, here's our perspective on a particular bill. And then the legislator goes out and gets the opposite perspective from other people. So I don't have a problem with lobbying per se. I think there's some very corrupt lobbyists out there. I think we should close the revolving door between the legislatures and the lobbying firms. I think that should be prohibited by the constitution. So maybe there's a cooling off period of five years or seven years when you're in the legislature or you work in a legislature, you can't immediately go to a lobbying firm. That might be helpful, but I'm not a favor in favor of doing it with lobbying. I'm also not in favor of doing, eliminating corporate donors from campaigns. I'm not sure why we would want to do that. I'm fine with it. I just want to know that they're giving to somebody's campaign. And by the way, all that stuff is disclosed right now. So you know who they're taking money from. I think that's okay. Our job is to organize an opposition to corporate donors if we want to. There's things that we oppose that they're doing. Raise the money as grassroots activists. Raise the money with other kinds of corporations and oppose the kinds of things we don't like. I don't believe that there's too much money in politics. I know some people believe that. I just want to caution you. That is a leftist talking point because what they mean is they don't like super PACs that corporations can give to, but they love the fact that the employees unions, both public and private employee unions, 
can do unlimited PAC activity. They just want to stop corporations from countering that PAC activity. And one last thing I want to clarify about that. A lot of people talk about the Citizens United decision. It's really bad. It allowed super PACs. Ronald Reagan's speech, A Time for Choosing for Barry Goldwater, was paid for by corporations. And the reason we had all the campaign finance legislation to try and stop that is they didn't like what it did. They were trying to stop conservatives and empower unions. So we should not be against money in politics. We should be for money in politics. Uh, Americans spend more on potato chips every presidential cycle than they do on politics. And personally, yeah, I like potato chips, but I think politics are more important. I want to close with this. January 17th, Chip Roy, who I think is one of the true conservatives in the House of Representatives, is going to be on Convention of States at home. That's here on Facebook. That's January 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Chip Roy on CUS at Home. So tune in. Don't miss that. And of course, no matter what, for sure, absolutely tell everybody. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. Thank you for listening.